So today we're continuing in Luke, our series in Luke that we've entitled Upside Down, which if you uh, have been paying attention throughout, you've seen that there are several occasions in Luke, almost every story, where we're presented with uh, an event or a truth, and we think that Jesus is going to respond one way, and he responds the complete upside down way. We see uh, specifically, uh, last week, Brad talked about uh, the story of the scribes who put everything into their appearance. They look impressive, they're, uh, they get the best seats at the table, they have the best outfits, and they don't see anything. But Jesus sees everything, and he sees the widow who banks everything she has on reality. A few weeks ago, James walked us through the first half of this discourse in 1 through, uh, or 5 through 19, and talked about there are those who put their trust in false religion, who put their trust in all the things they can do to make themselves right with God, and put their trust in false security, all the things that they've kind of stored up for themselves. And they see, but they don't really see. And they trust, but their trust is in vain. And so it's upside down. The things that should make sense, worldly sense, don't make any sense at all. Um, And so we're going to continue in that same theme, by looking at Luke 21, which is the conclusion of Jesus' teaching concerning the signs of the last days, which he compares to the approaching summer. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke 21, verses 29 through 38. You can find that on page 881, 881, if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. And you'll need, you're going to need your Bible open, so we're going to look back and forth at some passages, so you'll have to, you'll have to look at it. Uh, the title of our sermon this morning is Preparing for Summer. Preparing for Summer. We're kind of on the cusp of summer right now, and so it's a timely message. There are four points that I want to work through today. One, recognize the sign of God's kingdom. Two, look for God's promises. Look to God's promises. Three, pay attention to your affections. And four, keep watch over your life. Four, four things, four ways we can prepare for, uh, prepare for summer, God's summer. With that said, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. If you're not able to stand, we ask that you please stand in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Luke 21, 29 through 38. Church, hear the word of the Lord. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. And all of the trees, as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, that the day comes upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will, it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all of these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all of the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together 
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So let me tell you about the time I slept through Armageddon. Okay, it was about a year ago, uh, and uh, I was fast asleep three or four in the morning, and I wake up to what, what I can only describe as a train horn attached to a monster truck. And I spring out of bed as fast as one does at three or four in the morning. I run to the front of the house, look, at, look up at the sky, and there was nothing there. Silence, the street was silent, the house was silent, everyone's still asleep. And so I went back to bed thinking, you know, it's probably just Hondas and Southern Parkway. You know. uh, that's, that seems to be the, the theme, street racing. Uh, but I laid in bed and I, I just couldn't help thinking, like, if it was the real thing, if Jesus was coming back, I was asleep. I wasn't ready. And I thought, maybe I did sleep through it. We're all still here. Uh, so maybe, hey, maybe that's you. Like, maybe you, that keeps you up at night sometimes. Am I ready? Am I prepared? Do I have all my ducks in a row? Have I checked all my boxes? My, my heart right with the Lord? Or maybe you haven't thought about that at all. Like you're just busy going about your life, your business, and you haven't put one thought into Christ's return. Regardless of where you are this morning, here's the reality. Jesus Christ is returning. He's returning soon, and He's returning with His kingdom and His power in the clouds with glory, and He's bringing a sword to judge the living and the dead. That's a fundamental reality. He's returning and there's nothing we can do about it. Except, as he says in this passage, to be prepared. And so how do we prepare? Well, as we'll see, the answer is similar to our our servant series. The answer is upside down. It's not how we think. But it begins in verse 29. Look with me, verse 29 through 31, recognize the signs of God's kingdom. Young disciples, you need the word recognize for your guide. And he told them a parable saying, look at the fig tree and all of the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And so if we're going to prepare for God's coming, if we're going to prepare for the summer of Christ's return, then the first thing that we need is we need vision. We need to see, and we only learn to see by looking. We have to recognize the sign of God's kingdom, and to teach this, Jesus says, uh, he gives us a parable. Look at, the, look at the fig tree. Look at all of the trees. There's a common theme in this section of Luke. We've already talked about some of them. But look back up at the beginning of, or the end of chapter 20 that we talked about last week. There are scribes. They love their appearances. They see only themselves. But they don't see the widows that they devour. Jesus sees everything, including the faithfulness, an unseen thing, the faithfulness of the widow. 
in Luke 21, 5 through 7, there are, there's the crowd, and they see the beauty of the temple. And they trust in the impressiveness of temporary things. But the faithful in Christ see to it that they're not led astray by temporary promises. James was really helpful in, in helping us look through that a couple weeks ago. There are those in Luke 21, 10 through 27, there are those who will see the signs of the last days and be terrified. But the faithful in Christ will see these things and stand confident knowing that their redemption is near. So there are those who see and there are those who see but do not see. There are those who trust in permanent things and there are those who trust in Temporary things that seem impressive. And so in the parable, Jesus tells us to look at, look at the fig tree and all the other trees. So Luke's gospel is the only one that kind of lumps all trees in with fig tree. The other gospels just use fig tree. But Luke says, no, this is actually about all the trees. It's a, it's a universal parable. Uh, you don't have to know what a fig tree looks like to get this one. Um, as soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is near. So we can think back. Think back a few weeks ago. There was, there's nothing on the trees. They're empty, completely bare. You might be thinking, there's a couple bushes in our yard. We're like, are they dead? Like, I think they're dead. But they're, they're not, right? They've, they've come out. But it looks dead. And then they, ha- they start getting buds on the ends. And then overnight, leaves and flowers and green. And we can look at that and... Jesus tells us to think about it. The change that we see when when plant life turns green, the change is expected. There are signs that we can see that tell us when the change is coming. We can expect it. The change is also sudden and mysterious. Although we can see the signs, although we know the buds are on the plants, we don't know the day, the hour, the moment that all of those leaves are going to pop out. And if you... In the same way that Jesus is saying, my kingdom, my return is like that. It's expected. You see the signs. You can anticipate the return. It's not going to catch you off guard if you know how to recognize the signs. But it's also sudden, mysterious in a way. Nobody knows the day or the hour or the moment. But you can be ready at any time. And if you're not paying attention, if you don't know how to recognize the signs, the signs of Christ's kingdom, you're going to be taking, taken off guard. You're going to be trapped, Jesus says later in the passage. But if you're aware, the coming of the kingdom will be sudden, but it will be expected. It will be expected. What a grace, right? Right? Like, we don't have to live in fear that, like, at any moment, the, like, it's all going to go dark and we better just run for cover. We live in anticipation of summer. We live in anticipation of his face. It's a grace that God gives us. He says, look at the signs. You're going to know. But it's upside down when we start thinking back to what exactly those signs are. What does Jesus mean by these things taking place? So look back up. Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, which would have taken place in the lifetime of Luke's original audience. They know destruction. They know what it looks like.
to panic. They know about, and we know about, global wars, natural disasters, the persecution and death of Christians, global distress to the extent that people faint just from sheer exhaustion of knowing about it and being in that environment. Does any of that scream summer to you? Does any of that just like comfort when those things happen? Those are the buds on the tree of Christ's return. They're meant to help us stand confidently in anticipation of our redemption. But it makes no sense. Only by learning to recognize the upside down of signs of God's kingdom can we learn to recognize and appreciate these things. If, if you know anything about God's kingdom, you know that, that in the Bible, uh, these things are a common theme. Paul and Barnabas encouraged the church after they've just been persecuted. They encouraged the church in Acts 14.21 saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. To experience the fruitfulness of summer, we must go through death and barrenness of winter. We don't often see what's going on beneath the surface. In Romans 6, we know that if we're going to be united with Christ in his resurrection, we must share his death, be united him in his death through baptism. Or if you know Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3, that that if, if we're going to see the kingdom of God, we have to be born again, born a second time. And that only comes through a death of the self and being born from above through the Spirit. Resurrection only comes through death, and Christ's return only comes through hardship, winter, suffering. And this is the upside-down way of God's kingdom. If we're going to be prepared for its coming, we have to learn to recognize those signs. For those who are in Christ, the localized and global suffering that we experience, the pain, the loss, the anxiety, the distress, don't produce, should not produce anxiety and fear, but they should produce in us an eagerness for his return. It's what John is getting at when he's praying at the end of Revelation, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's, that's what the sign, those signs point to or should encourage our heart to make that our prayer. So if we're going to learn the lesson from the fig trees, we need to learn how to read the signs of God's kingdom so that we're not going to be caught off guard. And it's not an easy task, but it takes faith, and specifically the faith that trusts in God's promises. It makes no sense. It's a strange way of living in the world. It's strange, especially when you can acknowledge like, hey, I'm fearful, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, but I'm not panicked. I'm not scrambling around trying to get everything in order, but I know and trust in God's return. I know how he's going to deal with me on his return, and the world can't make sense of that. It's upside down. We have to trust in God's promises. That's our second point. Point two, look to God's promises. Young disciples, you need the words look to. Verse 32, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So whenever Jesus talks about his second coming, he doesn't use it as an occasion to just investigate the curiosity of his disciples. He doesn't use it as an opportunity to lay out an exact program template for his return. He doesn't use it as an opportunity to dunk on, celebrate the judgment of the wicked. He uses it to primarily talk about three things. The certainty of his coming judgment, that he's coming. The need to be vigilant and watchful in anticipation of his coming. And the immense hardships and sufferings, especially for Christians, in the days leading up to his return. It's primarily the three things that he discusses in those discourses. And so in these verses, 32, 33, Jesus is affirming these things. Hey, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but the certainty of my return and the things I'm saying about my return are true. My words will not pass away. So be prepared. We must look to his promises that are not like heaven and earth, but are eternal. He's also promised, again, how he's going to deal with us on his return. That's a grace, right? Like we don't live in fearful anticipation that the, the sword is coming down on us. We live in anticipation that when we see him, we will be like him. When we see him, we will enter into his rest. We're going to enter into summer. But for those who have rejected Christ, there will be judgment. There will be a casting out. There will be a separation. And we can trust in that promise too. Not in, to celebrate, but to be vigilant and watchful. Be good stewards over those who don't know Jesus around us that we might bring them with us. That we might help each other on our way to heaven. Help each other prepare for the help each other as we prepare for the day of his return. The reality of his his judgment and uh, specifically the the separation between those who are trusting in his promises and those who are rejecting is captured by the words this generation. So in Luke's gospel, this generation and other similar phrases are used to describe a kind of people characterized by two things, their failure to see and accept the spiritual work, spiritual divine work of God in Jesus, and two, their trust in themselves and in temporary things, which again is a clear connection to the kinds of people that are described previously. He's looping it all back in. These people, this generation, are only temporary. Their skepticism is temporary. Their pride is temporary. They will not endure but God's promises are forever. He will come again. And so if we're going to prepare for his return, we have to look to his promises, trust him, and we also have to pay attention, we have to be vigilant. Specifically, we must pay attention to our affections. Young disciples, you need the word affections. Verse 34, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation drunkenness and cares of this life and that day comes suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth so jesus is specifically warning 
against the cares and concerns, the, a heart that's clinging after cares and concerns for this world. So when calamity, chaos breaks out, when it seems the world's falling apart, when we experience the signs of his approaching kingdom and see the world, in uh, the world experience the signs of his coming kingdom, we must anchor our hearts and affections to his promises, to his coming kingdom. Jesus warns against two symptoms. They're both connected with the cares of this life. The first is dissipation or being sick, hung over with the world. Right? So Jesus says when the world experiences the signs of his kingdom, many are going to faint from sheer exhaustion. And many will be so overwhelmed they just won't take it. They're going to check out. So maybe you're like me. Last several years, gone through some things in our culture, right? And the temptation to turn the volume down, to check out, to take a step back, and just kind of tune it out. It becomes so much that we just get exhausted. So much bad news. You only take so much bad news. You only take so many stories of shootings and wars and potential economic downfalls. You just give up. Give in. Turn over. Feel sorry for ourselves. And that's not like you're not weak when you feel these things. You're not lesser than. That's normal. You're human. You only be pummeled so much. But beware, Jesus says. Beware or else you're going to become sick and hung over with the cares of this world. So there's a, there's a healthy, like, it's too much. And then there's an unhealthy, it's so much I'm checking out. Right? Those are, those are distinctives. The healthy, it's too much, runs to Jesus. The unhealthy becomes hung over with it. The unhealthy diagnosis is this. The world's not how we expect it. Our experience of the world isn't how we thought it was going to be. And so we just start lamenting our, the world and we lament our experience of the world. It's kind of just like, like a woe is me. And what we do is we train our affections to seek after the world as we want it to be. We train our heart to desire the world as we envision it. And by looking out and, and being sad and sorry for the world that's not the way we want it to be, we completely miss the kingdom God is building and bringing. And so, instead of putting our trust in how we see things, instead of putting our trust in our own temporary, feeble solutions, we have to seek his kingdom. We have to put our trust in his kingdom. The second sickness is drunkenness. So the opposite. Uh, as being intoxicated with the cares of this world. I'm probably more, more tempted to this one. Like When things go south, my first impulse is like, what can I do? Where can I start gathering up all of my security and safety and... Where can I anchor my affections and things that are going to keep me alive? I feel vulnerable. Start asking, how can I prevent harm from coming my way? 
I'm anxious about money. How can I just hustle more? What can I sell? You know, where can I get a little side job? Where can we, what can we cut out this week? Like maybe we don't need, you know, milk and eggs this week, right? I'm worried about losing my position or my status. And so I start gathering up. How, how can I posture myself and, and, and position myself in a place of strength so that other people are impressed with me? And these impulse reactions, are, they start small, but again, they train our affections to cling to the security of our own strength. We become more intoxicated with the cares of this life. We begin accumulating for ourselves. And our heart begins to long for all the ways that we can save ourselves. We become drunk on the cares of this world and completely miss, become distracted about the, with the kingdom that God is building and bringing. Instead of rooting ourselves in God's promises, we become intoxicated in our own delusions that we can save ourselves. We become people who see without seeing. But the call of the Christian is not to escape the suffering of this life by any means necessary. The call of the Christian is to humbly and dependently endure the things of this life with faith firmly rooted in God's promises. We're not called to be doomsday preppers building a bunker. Because if you're in Christ, there is no doomsday, only summer. And our bunker is Jesus Christ himself. That's what it means to be in Christ. Listen to what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places which you may go. The one who endures, the one who conquers, is not the one who gathers great things for themselves. But the one who runs to the giver of life, who gives their life as a prize of war. We're called to pay attention to our affections. So when these feelings and reactions bubble up, Because they will. Like, you're going to experience the signs of the coming kingdom. You're going to have these feelings and reactions. We don't double down on them. We don't just meet anxiety with anxiety. We don't meet self-preservation with more self-preservation. But like Abraham, we hope against hope. Trusting that God will fulfill His promises. There's another way, final point, on how we can prepare for summer. Number four, keep watch over your life. Verse 36, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all of these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. So earlier we mentioned that every time Jesus talks about his return, he's always stressing the need to be vigilant and watchful. And the, his, one of his favorite ways of telling us how to be vigilant and watchful is to stay awake. It's one of his favorite ways of kind of illustrating the point. He doesn't mean, like, don't ever go to bed. Right? He knows you're human. He knows you need to sleep. Stay awake, he means, don't fall asleep on his promises. Don't fall asleep on what he said he was going to do. Don't be like the scoffers that Peter talks about, in Second Peter, 
So Peter writes, you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, because that's what scoffers do. They're going to follow their own sinful desires and say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Sounds familiar. You met people who say these things. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the, day, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is his one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's sudden. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Stay awake. Watch yourselves. Waiting for and hastening the day of the coming of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot, blemish, and at peace. Don't fall asleep on his promises. Stay awake and watch over your life. What kind of lives should you live? Here's a fundamental truth about the Christian life. So the way that we live, our daily decision making, the the habits we cling to and build and cultivate for ourselves, the things we decide to buy or not buy, the people we decide to to give grace to and love or not or withhold that from, those are direct implications to the extent in which we are believing and trusting in God's promises. Specifically in the promise of his return. Paul writes frequently, like, if you really thought Jesus was going to come back and you were going to see him face to face, you wouldn't do that with her. And you wouldn't use your eyes for that. And you wouldn't use your hands for that. Because with that same resurrected body, you're going to behold the Lord Jesus. And so the same is here. If you really believed in his return, how would you live? What would you trust in? We will see him face to face. That's the end of everything. Your life is all directed towards seeing Jesus Christ face to face. You will behold him. And the signs of his kingdom are already present. He said he's coming soon. So how are you going to live? Well, one way Jesus says we can watch over our life is through prayer. He gives us one essential practice to cultivate that awareness. He tells us to pray for the strength to escape. To escape not the, not the like, signs of the kingdom. We can't, we're not escaping those. We're all going through those. That's, that's coming on everyone. He says pray for the strength to escape the sickness of the cares of this world, the drunkenness and dissipation, the, the non-endurance stuff. Pray for that. You want to escape that. You want to stand strong. So prayer is the means by which we're strengthened. By prayer, we enter into the reality of all that God is doing in the midst of barrenness and suffering. By prayer, we enter just into reality. 
Because around us, it looks like things are broken and dying and being just discarded and turned over. But the reality is God is growing a kingdom. He's bringing it with him. When we enter prayer, think about the Lord's Prayer. When we enter prayer, our Father art in heaven. Like, we've been in the world. God's in heaven. The, the true essence of reality. When we pray, we enter into his reality. So anchor yourself in that. By prayer, we direct our hopes towards his promise. We turn our affections away from ourselves and towards him who is able to truly deliver us. By prayer, we conduct our lives in ways that look forward to the day that we will see him face to face. Here's what I love about this passage. Luke gives us an example of Jesus putting this into practice. Because everything up until this point in Luke's gospel has been peachy. Like Jesus has been enjoying a thrill ride of success, popularity. Things are going really well. But immediately after this passage, Judas Iscariot and his crew start putting together a plan to kill Jesus. And Luke tells us that the one who knows all things in the midst of all this was teaching in the temple by day and at night went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet, which was his favorite place to pray. Church, preparing for his coming is a fundamental task of following Jesus until we see him face to face. Like, that's what we're doing every day, is preparing to see him. It's what you're helping your kids do when you read them story, bedtime stories, when you pray for them. You're preparing them to see Jesus face to face. There are many other things that we can and should do in the Christian life, but the core of our life with Christ is that we are called to be vigilant and stay awake. But even this is incredibly difficult. It's impossible. Like, how do we do this? If we try on our own, we're just left intoxicated and sick with the world. But if we're going to prepare for the summer of Christ's return, we need the summer of His grace to come upon us. So how do we do that? What's our program for endurance? Have you guessed? Right, it's upside down. Once again, we come to Jesus. He himself is the perfecter of our endurance. Come to Jesus and recognize that all of the signs of his coming kingdom are pointing to him, the one who is coming. They're pointing to the one who will make all things new. They're pointing to the one who says he will give water to the thirsty and the crown of life to the one who endures. So when you experience the signs of his coming kingdom, the pain, the suffering, the anxiety, the confusion, run to him who has promised to give you rest. The one of whom Paul speaks about when he says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. The glory that will be revealed to us is the face of Jesus. We come to Jesus and we look to his promises. Yes, he's promised again to come with his kingdom. Yes, he's promised it will be swift, sudden, and he's bringing a sword. But to the faithful, he will not deal harshly. Instead, he's promised to deal with us 
in his kindness according to the mercies of his grace. And so when you experience the signs of his coming kingdom, look to his promises. He has promised to welcome us into his rest, as Hebrews 4 tells us. And he has promised us that when we see him, we will be like him. We come to Jesus and we root our affections deep into his person. For he's also told us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so when you experience the signs of his coming kingdom, don't store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. But instead, store up treasure for yourself in heaven by looking to him who is our highest treasure and the rewarder of those who seek him. We come to Jesus and we continually and, uh, and often in prayer. And so don't fall asleep on his promises, but know that he who neither sleeps nor slumbers is watching over you and keeping you strong until the day of his return. When you experience the signs of his coming kingdom, look to him who is strengthening, strengthening you and who has given himself to be your strength to stand firm. And in his grace, he's given us another sign. That points to his return. It's the Lord's Supper. It's a regular banquet of believers gathering together. And it prepares us for the eternal summer that's coming with his kingdom. On the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine. After blessing it, he gave it to his disciples and said, this represents the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he returns. Today we're announcing that Jesus Christ is both the promise and perfecter of our hope as we joyfully endure and eagerly await his return. Our tradition here at Antioch is to come forward together, break off a piece of bread and dip it into the juice. There will be gluten-free available. If you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to examine yourself and then come forward for a uh, in a moment. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the sacred symbol is not for you. But rather than taking communion, we encourage you to take Jesus. There will be pastors in the back to talk and pray if you have any needs. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you often weary and wounded from life and from experiencing the signs that we don't understand, that are painful, that cause us confusion, frustration. And we're tempted to do many things and to work many works. But we need your grace to help us prepare for your return, to receive you, receive your promises, receive the life you would have us live, to trust you, to hope against hope. Lord, would you prepare our hearts today? Prepare our hearts as we celebrate your supper. Prepare our hearts as we look to you in worship. Prepare our hearts where we will see you face to face in an eternal summer. Lord, we ask you to have this grace on us for Christ's sake.
Amen.